Well, hello, my name is John Smith and welcome guests, welcome Severn Runners. I get to be your executive pastor and it has been my privilege over the course of the last couple of weeks to lead us through this message series entitled, I Can, in which we have been looking at what I would call one of the most controversial uh, Bible verses that there is, which is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, it's been a couple of years, which means I need to get back at it and probably need to go do it again, but it's been a couple of years since we cleaned out our garage. And I remember the last time that this happened, I we got the family up early on a Saturday morning. We all went out and I gave some very, very specific instructions. I mean, the stuff was packed sky high, wall to wall inside of our garage. Here were the specific instructions. We're gonna make three piles. One pile is going to be the, this is we're getting rid of pile. The second pile was, um, Um, we're going to keep it pile. And the third pile was maybe, maybe we might keep it. We'll decide at the very end. And so that day we got to it. Uh, We started throwing stuff in piles and it's amazing how much stuff ends up in the maybe pile and how little things, uh, how small things end up in the get rid of pile. But we worked our way all the way through that. And then we started getting down to the bottom of the garage. And I I think you know what I mean by that. The bottom of the garage is the place where the stuff has been for years upon years upon years. It's the stuff that previous garage cleanings either never got to or it was the stuff you decided to keep. And yet it's still been there for a decade. And so we got down to the bottom of this and there was this one trash can and I opened up the trash can and as I started to look through what was in there, at the very bottom of it, I discovered some old notes of mine. They turned out to be my college notes and I picked them up and I started looking through these notes from classes that I had taken and I began to find uh, papers that I had written that were down in the bottom of this, uh, papers for classes one of them I picked up, I looked at it, had a pretty good grade on it, and I began to to read it. And as I was reading this, I was having this moment of what was I thinking? There is no way that I could have actually believed this back then. Um, and number two, why did I keep it? And number three, why in the world would my professor have been so dumb as to give me that good of a grade? I could not believe that I had ever thought that way. And that day, I knew that what I needed to do was to get rid of the paper because it had been a, I had already gotten rid of the idea. Now, I say this because I hope that the journey that you've been through over the course of the last couple of weeks has been a sifting through ideas and beliefs and frivolous things that you've been able to identify that no longer matter to you, that they no longer serve you, that they are no, that they are keeping you from being able to live the I can type of life. So I hope that you've been on that journey and I hope that you've been able to take the time to then really dive into what really matters. And we talked about that last week. We talked about um, the fact that we are supposed to be bearing fruit, the righteousness of Jesus, the righteous character of Jesus, which we're told in Galatians chapter 5 is the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, which then begins as when that becomes our state of being, it begins to manifest itself through patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I hope 
that not only have you gotten rid of the frivolous in your life, but that you've been able to come to see the fruits of the Spirit as the final destination inside of your Christian walk. That the whole reason you're following Jesus is to be able to get to the point where your life is doing nothing more than bearing that fruit. And when your life is bearing that type of fruit, that is when you have moved into the Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can power. Because when you're focused on the things that really matter, you will be able to do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. So if fruit-bearing state is the key to the I can life, then how can we get to that state and stay there? Because not many of us are living in a constant state of love and joy and peace and manifesting itself outward through the other fruits. How can we get there and how can we stay there? Not just as a temporary thing, not just every once in a while, but where love, joy, and peace are constantly exuding from us. My wife, just the other day, she asked me a question while we were riding down the road. She said, sweetheart, she goes, tell me this. When did you, when did you stop craving alcohol? When did you stop thinking about it? When did you stop wanting it to be uh, a, a part of your life? And I told her, I said, sweetheart, I said, that's a really good question. And I think the answer comes to for me to be able to recognize that it that it wasn't until I knew that I had the power to control my emotional state through what through Christ within me that I was able to that I was able to overcome alcohol. You see alcohol was one of those things that I reached to when I was feeling bad, when I was feeling down, when I was feeling negative. And the irony of all of that, right, is that alcohol is a depressant. So here I am feeling down, here I am feeling depressed, and what am I doing? I'm pouring depression down my throat. Uh, but that's what I reached to, because it would numb the negative feelings. It was when I learned that Christ in me has given me the power over those negative feelings, and that I could control it, that no circumstance on the outside could have the effect on me that Christ within me could have on the inside. When I learned how to control my my emotional state, then suddenly all of the cravings for alcohol, all the reaching for the things on the outside began to go away. It was learning how to live in the fruit-bearing state that keeps me sober today. Because I know that in, in me, Christ lives, and I have the power to overcome all of that type of negativity. So how can we learn how to get there? How can we learn to, to, to stay in that state all the time, no matter what circumstances on the outside are, are, are coming at us? Paul gives us the fertilizer, so to speak, that we need. He tells us what that fertilizer is in Philippians chapter 4 before he ever makes that audacious claim that he can do all things through Christ. He tells us how he's able to arrive at that emotional state. He gives us some, some really simple basic practices that we can follow and make a part of our lives in order to begin to develop the state of being of love and joy and peace. In verse 4 of chapter 4, he says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, you know, what does rejoice mean? Well, I looked it up. It means to feel or to show great joy or delight. We should always be rejoicing. We should always be uh, uh, full of joy in the Lord. Paul even adds an exclamation mark to it, rejoice. So what should we be delighting in? 
Well, I think we should ought to be delighting in the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. I think for a lot of us who constantly find ourselves in a state of negative emotional space, it's time for us to start to really get thankful. It's time to look around and to see just how amazing life is. To quit focusing in on all of the negativity that is in your life. To quit focusing in on all the troubles. And to look around at the greater, bigger, grander picture and see just how big God is, how amazing He is, how much love He is bestowing upon you. Because what I want to tell you today is even in your struggle, even in your struggle, no matter what your struggle may be, even in your struggle, the goodness of God is still present. I was reminded of this early on in this COVID season. My 12-year-old son, Landon, middle child, uh, he, he was having some stomach issues and he had been having them for uh, a, a, a period of time. And, and then all of a sudden one day in his next episode, um, the pain got increasingly worse. And we had just started the quarantine portion of COVID-19. His pain was getting a whole lot worse and, and he was having a lot, a lot of different issues. And we kind of waited through the night and it got to be early that morning. And I looked at my wife and I said, sweetheart, we're going to have to take him to the ER. And so we, we got up, we got him dressed and we took him down to the ER. And you can imagine, um, at that point, especially just the level of care that the emergency room was taking in order to make sure that there was not going to be any type of opportunity for anybody to become exposed to COVID-19. When we walked in and we were trying to figure out, you know, um, one of the questions they ask us is who's going to stay with him? Only one parent was going to be allowed to be with him. Now, in, in this type of particular situation, when we're thinking that there's something really serious going on, how do you how do you even begin to decide as to which parent is going to be the one that gets to be with him? We we asked him, did he have a preference? He said no. He said, you know, either one of us. He, quite frankly, was in such pain. I'm sure he did not care. Um, and and we looked at one another and ultimately, due to a matter of several considerations, decided that I would be the one that would stay with him. But can you imagine the toughness, right? The tough reality of a mom not getting to be with her 12-year-old son while he's in the middle of the emergency room. We went back to the emergency room, multiple tests were done. After multiple tests were done, the doctor came in and said, hey, here's what it is. Here's what, here's, here's what we're pro- they're probably going to have to do, which was going to more than likely mean some form of an emergency surgery. He was then, uh, they asked us, hey, which hospital do you want him to go to? Washington, Hopkins. Uh, we said Hopkins. They took him in an ambulance up to Hopkins and we followed in behind. And, and that day he had emergency surgery. Now, you're thinking to yourself, in the middle of COVID-19, who in the, you know, what a terrible time for this to happen. And I guess that could have been the perspective of my wife and I as we were dealing with this really dangerous and very scary type of situation. Um, this life and death situation of our 12-year-old son. But it was interesting because even as we were having the drive up there, we looked at each other and said, you know, God's got good in this. Because I got to tell you that even in the middle of your struggle, even in the middle of your struggle, the goodness of God is present. 
And when we got to Hopkins and, and he went in for the surgery and I was able to kind of like do the research and, and, and see what was going on and the doctors and the team, they were phenomenal. And it turns out that because there were no elective surgeries that were taking place in the pediatric unit of Hopkins on that particular day, my son was the only one in the emergency room, which meant that he would get the, one of the top pediatric surgeons to be able to do his surgery. Now, if that would have been any other time, he would not have been the one that was scheduled to do the surgery. But in the, even in the middle of our struggle, the goodness of God is present. If we will be present to it, if we will open our eyes, if we will look, no matter what it is that you're going through. And so I know that this season of COVID-19 has probably been tough and there's probably been a lot of things that you face and a lot of things that you've had to give up and that you can't be a part of. But I want to encourage you today to take the time to rejoice. In fact, here's what you might need to do as a family right now. You might need to just sit down together and say, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with 20 things, 20 good things that God has done through COVID-19. 20 good things. You might even go as far as to, to, as a family, have each family member come up with their own 20 things. Now, it might be easy to come up with one or two or three, but what you need to do right now is to really dig down deep into God's goodness and be able to see how his goodness is infiltrating every point of your life. You want to come to the point that your life is fruit-bearing in a state of love, joy, and peace, then thankfulness is the place that we can begin. Paul goes on, though, in verse 5, and he says, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Don't just rejoice, don't just be thankful, but then also be considerate. You know, here's the reality. If we want to be considerate, then we have to start to try to build consideration for other people. Oftentimes, the reason why we're not considerate is because we've not considered the situation that other people might be finding themselves in. It is real easy, and we're seeing this happen a whole lot in our society right now. It is real easy for us to find all of the reasons and all of the ways that we are different than somebody else. I'm not like them. I don't have the same skin color as them. I don't come from the same place as they do. I don't speak the same language that they, they do. I don't have the money that they have. We can find all kinds of ways that separate us. But if we're going to have consideration, then we need to consider other people. One of the practices that I've started to try to put into my life and that I just every once in a while I'm reminded of. And so um, I will do it. And especially this is a fun practice if you're going through the mall. If you're just walking through the mall or if you're in a group of a lot of people, which is not really where any of us are nowadays. uh, But if you're in a group of a lot of people, here's a fun practice to learn how to be considerate of other people. When you look at other people, don't have the immediate reaction of how are they different than me or judge them in some way, which is what our default zone usually is. Take a moment for everybody that you see and say, hey, I wonder how they're like me and then watch them and observe them. Just this morning, I was, I was having a cup of coffee and I was looking at a guy, uh, that I, that, that often goes to the same coffee shop as I do. And quite frankly, I've heard a lot of his conversations with other people and, and he's a pretty negative character. He just, he's, he's oftentimes, um, you know, he just doesn't have a lot of positive things to say. And so naturally, I found that to be a little bit of a turnoff. But this morning, I was thinking that I was going to be giving you all this, uh, practice and I thought, well, maybe I ought to try it today. 
And so I looked at him and there he was. He was sitting there with his computer open and he was typing away and he was making things happen. And I thought, you know something? He's a man like me. He needs to get away from the office every once in a while. He needs to have his own space. He needs to have his own quiet and he needs to be able to, to, to work somewhere else and figure it out. I was like, we got that in common. And here's the truth. You've got something in common with every single person on the planet. In fact, you've got more in common oftentimes than you don't have in common. But we don't usually take the time to be considerate of that. If we want to learn how to be considerate uh, then, then of other people, then we've got to take them into consideration. That's a way to move toward love and joy and peace. How are we alike? And then here's just a freebie. Um, one way to be considered is just go encourage somebody today. You find yourself down in the dumps, just go give somebody some encouragement already. Tell them something very specific. Don't just say, I appreciate you. Don't just say, I love you. Say, you know what? I love you and, and I appreciate you because this is who you are. And give them something specific. That was a freebie, okay? Um, verse six goes on to say, don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Don't worry. Pray. And then when you get done with that, turn back to thankfulness. So we start with thankfulness. All of a sudden, the circumstance comes up. Don't worry about the circumstance. Tell God about the circumstance and then turn right back into thankfulness. Here's what this prayer really is. This prayer is nothing more than the acknowledgement. When you go to God and say, God, I need this, you are going to God and acknowledging that you do not have any control over anything. One of the craziest paradoxes is that the fastest way to the I can life is to look at God and say, I can't. The fastest way to the I can life is to look at God and say that I can't. In fact, sometimes uh, this is a phrase that I want you to add, maybe a mantra that I want you to add to your life. I want you to, I want you to, to, to write it on your, your bathroom mirror. I want you to etch it into your dashboard on your car. Maybe go out and, and get a sign made for your desk. But here's the revolutionary phrase. My God who loves me is in control. I'm not, he is. My God, who loves me, is in control. You will move quicker toward that state of being of love, joy, and peace. Verse 7 says, then you will experience God's peace, right? What's the result of these things? You are going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. You're going to have peace in the middle of your 12-year-old son's emergency surgery, which I'm, I'm happy to be thankful for that we did. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, here's the one final thing. The one final thing. And I just got to tell you, in my mind, this is the big enchilada, folks. This is the big one. He says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Now, I got to tell you that this is the most revolutionary thing that I have experienced inside of my own personal life and recovery is when I learned the power of the idea of fixing my thoughts, of putting my thoughts on the things that matter. Because here's what I want you to understand, that what you think about, what you think about determines the way that you feel. The way that you feel right now is the result of what you've been thinking about 
earlier this morning. It may be of what you were thinking about yesterday. It may be what you were thinking about a week ago. But your emotional state right now is the result of what you have been thinking about. Paul says the the quickest way for you to practice getting into the state of love, joy, and peace is to fix your thoughts. Now, he's going to tell us what to fix our thoughts on in a moment, but he knows that there's power in this. And here's the craziest thing. Modern science has proved that what Paul said all these thousands of years ago has turned out to be true because our thoughts... Our thoughts are nothing more than electrical pulses that are going through our brains. Those electrical pulses go to our glands. Those glands secrete hormones. And the experience that we have when those hormones get, get, uh, uh, be, be, infiltrate our body are what you and I experience as feelings. What you think about determines the way that you feel. So Paul tells us to to fix our thoughts, because if you want to change your feelings, then we need to change our thoughts. He says, change your thoughts to what is true, honorable, and right. Here's one. My God, who loves me, is in control. My God, who loves me, is in control. That's true. That's honorable. And that's right. He goes on to say, not just true, honorable, and right, but pure, lovely, and admirable. What, what are those things? This is where it starts to get a little hairy for a lot of us, okay? To fix our thoughts on the things that are pure and lovely and, and, and are admirable. I mean, I'm just, I'm just questioned, like, what does your entertainment life look like? You know? Um, I'm going to make a confession. And I know that no pastor should, 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 should make this type of confession. But here it is. And the whole thing is, um, it's going to be forever recorded uh, in this moment. But long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, when I was a different human being, uh, I, I really enjoyed, for entertainment value, any movie that had to do with a serial killer. I mean, I, I did. Like, that's, I really enjoyed watching that. And, and, and I really enjoyed watching all types of crime dramas. If I, I'm one of those people, I confess that oftentimes I go to sleep with the TV on, and way back in the day, um, I would go to bed with Law and Order playing. And the interesting thing about Law and Order is they like play it all night long. And so I would go to bed ha- listening to Law and Order, I- I sound asleep. Meanwhile, all of this crime and danger and mayhem and madness is still entering my subconscious while I'm sound asleep. And I would have these crazy dreams. Imagine that. And I would wake up in the morning and I would be in a foul mood. Imagine that. Why? Because of what I was taking in. I mean, what are you spending the most time even inside of entertainment value? I I had to like, part of what I did in recovery is put a stop to that type of madness. I decided it's time to to watch a feel-good movie every once in a while. It's time to watch something uh, that, that will cause me to have some to feel some love, enjoy, peace. What's your entertainment life look like? I mean, that's stuff that you're feeding. And I'm not asking that from a religious point of view. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, do any of that stuff. This is that, this movie's good. This movie's bad. No, I'm just asking what we're feeding ourselves with. If it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's admirable, it's going to move us quicker toward a state of love, joy, and peace. And if it's not, then it won't. I hear a lot of people that complain about, 
their social media feeds and all the negativity that exists on, inside of their social media feeds. Here's my question. Could that have anything to do with the people that you're friends with on social media? Could that have anything to do with the people that you're following on social media? If what you're seeing all the time is negative, then there's a good chance that you're following all kinds of negativity. I got I to gotta be very truthful with you guys. Most of my social media, I, I really don't get angry. I don't get upset that often at social media because most of my social media uh, seems to be pretty, pretty awesome people who have a whole lot of awesome things to say. Those are the people that I hit like on. Those are the people that I hit love on. And let me let you in on a little secret. There's algorithms. As as social media starts to see that this is what you like and this is what you appreciate, that's what you start to see more and more of. So if you're seeing a whole lot of negativity, I don't know, maybe think about it. We need to be thinking about what is pure and lovely and what is admirable. Rejoice. Be considerate, don't worry, pray, fix your thoughts. And finally, Paul tells us in verse 9, keep putting into practice all that you've learned or received. Try and try and try again. You're not going to get this right. You're not going to hit the state of love and joy and peace overnight, folks. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a practice. This spiritual life that we're on is a journey. We are moving more and more every day in our lives toward I can. There will be days when we feel like I can't. There will be days when we feel as if we're a failure. But that's the beauty of this life is that he gives us this chance to get up and to try again tomorrow. It's a practice. So just keep up. Just keep practicing. The days when your thought life goes wrong, take the time to center and to think about that and to turn it around and say, what is it that I'm going to think about tomorrow? Try, try, and try again. And before long, you will be able to achieve the fruit-bearing state of love, joy, and peace. And when you find yourself there, when you find yourself actually walking around most of the time in love and in joy and in peace, you will be living the I can life because there's going to be nothing that you don't feel like you can take on. There's going to be no circumstance that you don't feel like you can get through because the inner state of your life has changed. From that state, you will be able to do what Paul was confidently able to do, which was to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Church, would you do me a favor this morning and say this? I can. In Jesus' name.